Well, I want to welcome those that are watching live video streaming and those in our chapel venue. Welcome to our service. We're studying in the book of Acts, and it is such an honor and a privilege to be able to stand before you every weekend and share God's Word. It's God's Word that changes us. It's God's Word that transforms us. It's God's Word that we receive in our hearts that makes us into the people that God's called us to be. And so we're in Acts chapter 6. Last week, we studied verses 1 through 7. You could go online, listen to, or watch the, the teaching from last week. You can even catch up in the previous years of chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 that we've already taught online. The, the sermon material is there. It's, it's free for you to download or listen to or watch. We're going to pick up in verse 8 of Acts chapter 6, and a shift happens here in Acts chapter 6. There's a shift that Dr. Luke takes us away from focusing on the apostles, and he focuses now on one of the deacons that was uh, elected to serve uh, in the church to meet the needs that were causing people to murmur that we talked about last weekend, and his name is Stephen. And so all of a sudden, the focus is not on the apostles, it's now on those who have servant heart ministries in the body of Christ, Stephen being one of them. In Acts chapter 8, a guy by the name of Philip is highlighted. And so it's encouraging because you don't have to be one of these mega stars in the body of Christ for God to use you. Here's Stephen. Nobody ever heard of Stephen until Acts chapter 6 here, and yet God's about to use him in a powerful way. Here we go, verse 8. It says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. So here's, here's a Stephen, not an apostle, not a prophet, not an evangelist, not a pastor, not a teacher, and yet the Bible says he's full of faith and full of the power of God, and God is using him. And what does that tell all of us here today. Listen, you don't have to be an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher for God to be able to use you. I mean, you could be a doctor or an attorney or an accountant or a truck driver or a construction worker or a stay-at-home mom, and you can be full of faith and full of the power of God, and God can work miracles through each of us. Isn't it good to know that God can use all of us, if we would just be willing vessels, his power and grace can flow through us. And that's what's happening here in the life of Stephen. Verse 9, then, though, then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. Now, the members of this synagogue, it's called synagogue of the freedmen, because in the Roman Empire at this time, there were over 60 million slaves. Many of them were Jewish or, be, or became uh, followers of the Jewish faith, and they were part of this synagogue. Many of them eventually became Christ followers, and they became Christians. But at this time, these particular Jews from this particular synagogue, they began to stand up and oppose Stephen and the things that he was saying. Verse 10. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Now, Jesus left all of us a promise, a promise that I know Stephen was very well aware of. And Jesus said this in Luke chapter 21 and verse 15. Jesus said, I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. As Stephen stood 
before those who were antagonistic against the message of Christ and him crucified, Stephen spoke in such a convincing way. You know, there was a time that they wanted to arrest Jesus and they sent some Roman soldiers, you know, to, to go apprehend Jesus. And he happened to be, Jesus happened to be teaching. And while he was teaching, the people that were there to try to do him harm were so mesmerized by what he taught and how he taught that they forgot what their mission was and they went back to their commander and he said, well, what happened? And they said this, they said, never a man spoke like this man. I mean, when Jesus spoke, the things he said and how he said, on another occasion they said, he spoke as one that had power and authority. Well, now Stephen, representing Jesus, speaks as one having power and authority and they could not resist the things that he was saying because the things that he was saying was, were true. How many know that God can give you words of wisdom that your adversaries that will not be able to gainsay nor resist? How many know that increasingly, as Christians, we're going to have to defend the truth? We're going to have to defend decency. We're going to have to defend morality. And your adversaries may come against you because of your witness and testimony for Christ. But in that selfsame hour, God will give you the very words you need to speak that they will not be able to gainsay nor resist. How many know that there are some troubling times that we're facing as a nation? I saw on the news this past week that in New York City, an ordinance was passed where businesses, business owners, if they do not refer to the gender title that a person calls themselves, they can be fined up to $250,000. And because of this gender identity chaos that's in our, in our nation right now, they call it gender fluidity. Gender fluid means you could be a man in the morning and a woman in the evening based on your choices, your decision. So if you said, sir, can I help you? Don't call me, sir. I'm a her. How am I supposed to know? And if you call him her and he says, don't call me a her, I'm a zur. How are you supposed to know what particular title they're going by that day? Can you imagine how confusing it would be to run a business and own a business in New York? That's why I live here in West Texas. Thank you very much. I have no plans to move to New York. Watch God have a sense of humor and change my assignment. Oh, Lord, please no. Send them, not me, God. So here is Stephen having to defend, but God gave him words of wisdom. Verse 15. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Then uh, it says in verse 11, Then they secretly induced men to say, We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him, and these were all fabricated lies. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Now, the very same thing that happened to Jesus was happening to Stephen. Stephen was going to become the first martyr of the New Testament church. And because they couldn't gainsay nor resist the words he was speaking, 
They had to fabricate lies against him to falsely accuse him so that they could justify killing him. Well, this is what they did to the master himself, to Jesus. And so Stephen is no, is never, it was never closer to being like Jesus than in this moment. It says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 59, this is concerning Jesus himself. Now the chief priests and the elders and the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death. So the same thing, you know, the devil has no new tricks. Uh, what worked against Jesus is now going to work against Stephen. But here's the verse I wanted to get to. Here's the verse that the Lord really laid on my heart for us to go deeper into. It's verse 15 of Acts chapter 6. Let's read this out of the Living Bible Translation out loud together. At this point, everyone in the council chamber saw Stephen's face become as radiant as an angel's. The face of Stephen became radiant as that of an angel. It did shine with the presence and the glory of God. Wow. A faith that affects the face. A faith that affects the way you look. So I entitled the message, Every Face Tells a Story. Think about that. Every face tells a story. There's so much you can know about a person simply by looking at their countenance. And you know, because of the advancement of modern technology today, there's never been a, a greater opportunity for us to have face-to-face -face interaction with family and friends and, and new acquaintances. I mean, you can, you can carry on a friendship with somebody across, in, in another continent because of FaceTime, uh, because of Skype. Uh, business people are able to conduct meetings with GoToMeetings. Uh, com that you can you can have meetings face-to-face -face meetings with uh, team members and colleagues on the other side of the Atlantic but how many of you know we thank God for all this modern technology but if you're away from family and friends yes it's nice to be able to FaceTime them and to be able to look at each other and have a conversation but how many of you know nothing takes the place with being in the very presence of that loved one and being able to talk to them face to face. I mean, no, nothing takes the, the place of having a, a personal face-to-face -face meeting with someone you care about. Matter of fact, top executives prefer by a, a wide margin face-to-face -face meetings as opposed to these, uh, you know, FaceTime or go-to-meeting type uh, virtual meetings. And here's some of the top three reasons why. First of all, to build stronger, more meaningful business relationships. 85% of executives believe having a face-to-face, in-person meeting is the best way to do it. Second of all, it allows them to read body language and facial expressions, 77% of them said. And then number three, top three reasons why they would rather have a face-to-face -face meeting is to have greater social interaction, 75% of them said. Now, how many of you know there's a trend in the body of Christ today, and I understand it's useful, it's beneficial, it works, uh, it helps spread the message of Christ, but there are churches that as they develop new campuses in a city or in, in, a, in a state, they have satellite feeds of the pastor preaching. Now, I don't know about you, I know it works, and we, we, we do that in, in the chapel venue, and, and if we go to extension campuses in our community or other places as God leads, we may find ourselves doing that. 
but I'm just a little bit old-fashioned. When I show up to church to hear the Word of God preach, I want some pastor there in the flesh, in flesh and body and bone. I want to know that he's, he's real and he's there. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, a, a young lady walked up to me in the foyer and she said, you know, it was so awesome I came to church and you were actually here preaching. I usually attend a church, the pastor is in some other city, but, but it was cool to know that, yeah, I'm here in, this is me, this is not some hologram, you know, I am, I am here. So face-to-face -face meetings really are the best kind of meetings. You know, the best kind of meeting that you and I can have with God is a face-to-face -face meeting where we encounter his presence. And, and Stephen had this face-to-face -face meeting, this face-to-face -face encounter with God, and it became so evident, it, show, it showed upon his face. Why? Because a face tells a story. A face tells a story. So I thought I would, I would look at some famous faces uh, in, our, in our world, that all of which tell a story, because every face tells a story, and you can find out a lot about somebody based on their face. And so this first picture I wanted to show you is a famous picture, right? This face is the face of what? Sadness. But don't feel sad for MJ, man, because he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars, right? And then this next picture is the face of what? It's the face of royalty. This is one of the, the top 50 of the most famous photos. One of the top 50 most famous photos is this one, and this is the face of royalty because every face tells a story. This next picture is an actual picture from the World War II era. This is the face of Werfel, a six-year-old orphan who received, this is a, a picture of this kid who had received a brand new pair of shoes from the Red Cross. First brand new pair, look at that face. That's the face of what? A face it tells a story, and that face tells a story of what? Joy and happiness. Now, on a more serious, sober note, this face is the face of what? Evil. Absolute, positive, evil personified because a face tells a story, and that, my friend, is a story of evil. On a better note, this next face is the face of a young Iraqi girl and this is a face of surprise, a face of wonder, a face of gratitude, and a face of joy, because every face tells a story. And what's this young girl's story? One of heartache and heartbreak, until one of our very own doctors, Dr. John Thomas, who leads Operation Hope, an organization that we support on a monthly basis, who goes to Iraq, in the Kurdish area, northern Iraq, every year and performs surgeries. This face looks this way because this is what she looked like before she had her operation. She had a tumor growing out of the side of her face. Sometimes blessings come in disguise. It's because of this tumor that ISIS did not make her into a sex slave. And she was able to escape and go to a protected area in her path crossed the path of Dr. John and his medical team, and after close to 10 hours of surgery, they were able to remove that, go back to the former picture, and there you have it, a face of joy, a face of gratitude, and a face of appreciation. Every face tells a story. What's the story that your face tells? You know, Reverend Alwyn Lincoln House once said this, 
The face of the young is a prophecy. The face of the old is a history. Every parent, every coach, every educator, every individual that works with young people, when you look in the face of a young person, it's the face of prophecy. It's the face of what could be, what might be, what should be in that person's life. And when you speak words of faith and words of grace and words of love and words of peace and words of power over that young life, they can begin to live up to the prophecy of God and the blessing of God for their life. But when you look in the face of an old person, it tells a story, a story perhaps of pain, a story perhaps of disappointment, a story perhaps of addiction, a story perhaps of drunkenness, a story perhaps of a life of sin. But how many of you know it's never too late? God can change the story that's been written on our face, and he can begin to write a new story, one of love, one of grace, one of hope, and one of forgiveness, and one of redemption. Every face tells a story, and Stephen's face radiated. It gleamed, it shined as the face of an angel. I love Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Some of the greatest sermons ever preached were preached by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. All of his sermons are online. You want some, some deep reading, some challenging reading, just Google Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Read some of his sermons. They're all basically digitized now. Uh, the Lion of London, the Metropolitan Church, one of the, one of the greatest preachers that, that ever lived. And he was in a class with his students, and he said this. He was emphasizing the importance of making facial expressions, harmonizing with the message that you are preaching. And he said this. When you speak of heaven, let your face light up. Let it be irradiated with a heavenly gleam. Let your eyes shine with reflected glory. But when you speak of hell, well then, your ordinary face will do. <laughs> Stephen had an incandescent faith. And that, that face that shined, that face that reflected, that face that radiated like the face of an angel was the result of him being in the radioactive presence of God the radioactive presence of God. Every face tells a story. What story does your face tell? There's a famous illustration. It's actually found in most all of my commentaries. I have read this illustration. I have discovered, I've, I've seen this illustration appear in so many different places. It's hard to authenticate it, but because it shows up in so many of my study books and research books, it has to have some truth to it. The story is told of Leonardo da Vinci when he was painting his masterpiece, uh, the, the Last Supper, that he was looking for a particular model. He was looking for a particular individual that could sit in his studio and, and be the face of Jesus in the Last Supper. He searched far and wide, and finally, in a particular church in Rome, he found a young man by the name of Pietro Bandinelli. Pietro Bandinelli went to the studio of Leonardo da Vinci and he painted the face of Jesus using him as a model. Years passed, years passed, and he was putting the final touches of his fresco and he was looking for a model that now could fit the face of Judas, one that spoke of betrayal and deception and the hardness of sin finally taking its toll on the countenance of another human being. And he found a homeless person in Rome, and he had him come and, and sit as he painted the face of Judas 
in his masterpiece, The Last Supper. At the end, he asked the man who he happened to be, and he said, I am Pietro Bandinelli. I was your model for the portrait of Christ years earlier. What had happened? He had made some wrong choices. He had taken the wrong path in life, and it led him to a place where just years prior, his face did shine and was used to paint the, pit, the face of Jesus. And now, it's become the face of Judas. Every face tells a story. Proverbs 15, 13 says this, a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. There's something about a person that's filled with the joy of the Lord, something about a person that spends time in the presence of God. It begins to reflect upon their countenance. I believe Christian people are the best-looking people in the world. And if you want to be one of the best-looking people in the world, then give your life to Jesus. And I'm not talking about an external beauty because that beauty fades. You know, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. I'm talking about the inward beauty. The apostle Peter called it the hidden man of the heart. Paul said, though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. I want you to know that as you get older, you get better in the eyes of God because though this outward man perishes the inward man's being renewed and we go from glory to glory and faith to faith can we thank God for the presence of God permeating our very being I remember uh, I've had the privilege the last 35 years of being in the presence of some great great men of God and one of the greatest men of God that lived in the in the 20th century uh, was dr. Ed Cole he started the modern-day men's movement his, his famous book that every man should read, Maximize Manhood. If you haven't read that, you need to get on Amazon today and download the Kindle version or get a, heart, get a copy of it, Maximize Manhood. And uh, he was teaching at our former church, and I had the privilege of hanging out uh, on a lunch meeting with him one time. And he was talking to all of us as we were eating lunch, and he said this. These words came out of his mouth. I was young in my marriage at that time, and these words came out of his mouth. He said, the character of a man is seen in the countenance of his wife. The character of a man. And he went on to say, all I need to know about a man, I can tell by simply looking at his wife. Why? Because a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. And something about being married to a man with integrity and a man with character and a man that loves God and a man that, has, that serves God and has surrendered his life to God, it makes everyone happier and everyone better in that family. Stephen's face told a story. It radiated with the presence of God because he had spent time in the presence of God and he was contagious. He was radioactive. You know, there was a time in the life of Jesus that Jesus was transfigured. In Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up a high mountain, by themselves and he was transfigured before them his face shone like the Sun and his clothes became as white as the light Jesus himself this was a, a moment a, a glimpse into the true glory of Messiah that he was God in human form so this was unique from the, the then it was unique from Stephen's face that did shine and it was also unique from Moses. There was another individual in the Bible who was transfigured. It was Moses. 
Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God as he went up, he went up Mount Sinai to receive the Holy Ten Commandments. And the Bible says this about Moses in, in chapter 34, verse 29 of Exodus. When Moses came down Mount Sinai, carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. There's nothing like having a face-to-face -face encounter with God, a face-to-face -face meeting with God. And a face-to-face -face meeting with God on a consistent basis should be the norm for every New Testament Christian. See, God's presence will not only affect the way you feel, but God's presence will affect the way you act. And I declare to you today, God's presence will affect the way you look. Absolutely. I remember when I first arrived here at Trinity 15 years ago, when I was going through the interview process, I had come from a church that was young. It was a young church. It had only been about, around about 18, 19 years. And so the pastor was young, the staff was fairly young, the members were young. And I came to this church, and it was an established church. It was a church that was generational, that you had, you had uh, an older population of, of godly men and godly women in this church. And, and I remember when I first met the elders back then, I thought to myself, you know, I was 38, I was young, I had a, my, my, hair, was, my hair was black. I, I looked at these guys, I thought, they are really old. I need to get here as soon as I can. I don't know how much longer they're going to live. And there were guys like, like Joe Bill right there, Joe, Joe Bill Brown right there. And I, I looked at them, and, and I thought they were old back then, but the older I get, and the older they, the younger they are looking to me. But they had hoary head, they were hoary headed, uh, old King James for gray hair. And it's a sign of wisdom, right? And I remember looking at these men, I thought, these men are godly looking. I mean, their countenance, just their facial expressions. I could tell these are men that had been walking with God for decades. Some of them for over half a century. How many know when you walk with God and you spend time in God's presence for decades, it's going to change the way you look? Come on, church. It's going to change the way you look. But here's the beauty. You can be transfigured. It takes three things. Number one, God's presence in your life must be pursued. You're going to have to pursue God's presence. You see, it's, it's not said, but it's implied. Stephen... Stephen was a man full of faith and full of the power of God. Why? Because he pursued the presence of God. Just like Moses pursued the presence of God, you and I are going to have to climb the mountain of God's presence. Yes, God lives in the lowlands. Yes, God lives in the valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod, and your staff comfort me. But there are times in our life on a consistent, regular basis, we need to climb the mountain of worship. We need to climb the mountain of prayer. We need to climb the mountain of God's Word. And we need to have these one-on-one -on -one encounters, these face-to-face -face meetings with God. If we want to experience God's presence, we have to pursue God's presence. True faith requires an ascension. We have to climb the mountain. The mountain of prayer, the mountain of worship, the mountain of meditating on the Word of God. You know, it seems like everything around us is descending. The world is taking a nosedive. Western culture, Western civilization, America right now is taking a nosedive. It's like that Egyptian airplane. Uh, God helped the, the, the survivors of, who lost family members in that. An airplane that for no apparent reason just took a nosedive into the ocean. 
Our country morally and spiritually is taking a nosedive because what the devil has, his plan, what his, his mission is, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants every family and every marriage and every city and every culture and every people group and every nation to take a nosedive, to go down, down, down. But when Jesus gets a hold of your life, when Jesus gets a hold of my life, our life stops descending and it starts ascending. Come on, somebody. It starts going up and up and up and up. The way to God is the way up, not the way down. Look at Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. I love this, uh, these, these verses of Scripture. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? That's an important question. Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands are, and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. It's interesting. The temple site the temple that was built by Solomon was in the city of Jerusalem. It's like a 3,000-foot climb. You know, most of the Holy Land sea level, but when you go to the city of Jerusalem, you ascend about 3,000 feet in altitude. No coincidence. And then when you go to the Temple Mount to worship, you continue to ascend. So the, the psalmist understood the spiritual application to that of worship. Worship is about ascending into the presence of God. And Christianity is an ascending faith. And God wants us to ascend and climb our mountain, the mountain of prayer, the mountain of worship, the mountain of meditation on the word of God. We must ascend to get alone with God. This story of Moses so impacted the thinking of all the Jewish nation and the thinking of the New Testament apostles. Paul referred to it in his letter to the Corinthians. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, but we all, all of us, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Say that with me. From glory to glory. Say it again. From glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. God is changing you. God is, you know when Moses came down from the mountain? He had to put a bag over his face. Because his face did shine. But here's the interesting thing. The, the glory on Moses faded until he would go back up in the presence of God and then it would get bright again. And then it would fade. And then it would get bright. And then it would fade. That's symbolic of the Old Testament. The Old Testament lost its splendor and lost its glory. And what makes the New Testament, because the fulfillment of the Old Testament is found in Messiah, it's found in Jesus. What makes the New Testament so awesome and so powerful is that the glory of Jesus will never fade. It gets brighter and brighter and brighter. Hallelujah. And it's not hidden. And we must not hide our faith. But listen, God's presence pursued by us means God's glory will be renewed in us. You want God's glory to be renewed in you? My friend, you gotta, you gotta pursue the presence of God. And number two, God's presence must be prioritized. Not only do we need to pursue his presence, but we need to prioritize his presence. What does it mean to prioritize the presence of God? It's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, that we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first, and then all these other things will be added unto you. There's something about either Saturday night or Sunday morning, beginning your week, prioritizing God, being in church 
You should all give yourself a hand because you are all in church saying what? You're seeking first the kingdom of God. Work will be later this afternoon for some of you. Work will be tonight for some of you. For some that came last night, work is this morning. So they were in church last night. Uh, for some of you, work will be tomorrow or, or, or the next day. For some of you, don't even work. What a life you have, retired and living the good life. Amen. But we put God first. You see, we shouldn't get religious or legalistic about this, but, but we need to prioritize God in our schedule. I believe every day you should prioritize God in your schedule. You're going to hear me say this over and over and over again, but, but the first thing we should do in the morning is have time alone with God. Maybe for some of you it can only be 10, 15 minutes. Start there. Maybe it can only be five minutes. Start there. Time in His Word. First thing I do every morning, I get up and I open up, open up the Word of God in my phone. <laughs> I go to my Bible app and I spend time meditating on, reading Scripture, reading through the Bible. Reading, and it's so easy to do today because there are apps, you know, that keep you on track and you can make up days that were lost. And, and no, we don't do it so that we can come to the end of the year and say, I read through the Bible in a year. There's a gold star next to my name in heaven. No, it's just what doesn't get scheduled doesn't get done. And so we need to prioritize the presence of God in our life. Moses walked up that mountain, spent 40 days and 40 nights. How many know there are times that we need seasons of shutting ourselves out from the world and getting alone with God. And when you and I get alone with God, everybody will know that you have spent time in the presence of God because you cannot be in the presence of God and not radiate the presence of God. You, my friend, become radioactive for God. Oh, man. Woo! And listen, when God's presence is prioritized, we won't compromise. Can we say that together? When God's presence is prioritized, we won't compromise. Christians go days, weeks, months never praying, never talking to God. Days, weeks, months never cracking open the Bible, never reading the Bible. And you begin, the glory begins to fade shine begins to wear off we have to pursue the presence of God we have to prioritize the presence of God and finally number three we must learn how to practice the presence of God practice the presence that means that we have to go through a, a spiritual routine not religiously not legalistically not out of tradition driven by relationship where every day Every moment of every day, we're doing what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Let's read this verse out loud together. Pray continually. Now, don't look at the screen. Look at me. Let's say that verse again together. Pray. See, you just memorized a verse of the Bible. See how easy it is? Especially when it's only two words. <laughs> so I've helped you memorize a very important verse of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Let's say it together. Pray continually. What does that mean? Like Brother Lawrence, who wrote the famous uh, theses on practicing the presence of God. That, that godly monk. You can download his information on, on Google. But he talked about a breath prayer just throughout the day. Thank you, Lord. It's a good day. Thank you for the sun. It's a beautiful day. Thank you, Lord, for my family. Well, thank you for that person, Lord. I don't know what they're going through, but every face tells a story, and I look at their face, and I see pain. I see disappointment. I see hurt. Lord, I don't know who they are, but you know who they are. Lord, bless them. Pray continually. But when you and I live that way, and you are in the radioactive, you become radioactive for God. 
You become full of faith and full of power. God begins to do things through you and in you. Not everybody's going to be happy about it. You see, when God's presence is practiced, others may attack us. And that's what's happening to Stephen. He was simply radiating the love of Jesus. He was letting his light shine in a dark world. As he did so, the religious people of his day hated him for it. God forbid. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. You're not greater than your master. We don't go around wanting people to hate us. We don't go around wanting people to say all types of evil things against us. But when you take a stand for Jesus in your culture and you let the light of Jesus shine through you, not everybody will be happy with it. But that's all right. I came across this final illustration I wanted to share with you. I didn't know this, but there's a particular diamond, a particular cut of a diamond, that if you put it out in the sun uh, for, for a while, and you take that diamond in a dark room, it will emit light for a while. It will glow, begin to glow. I'd like to have some of them glowing diamonds. How about you, right? It, 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 it begins to glow, and, and, and it emits a light. And I thought, that's what we're like. You see, the diamond itself cannot generate light, but it can reflect and emit the light because it was in the light. And Jesus said, you and I are the light of the world. And when you and I spend time in God's presence, we become radioactive. And we begin to emit a light to everyone that is around us. But sometimes that light begins to dim. Why? Because we've, out, 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 we've been out of the sun too long. And when we begin to realize, or our loved ones begin to realize, our spouses begin to realize, our kids begin to realize that the light is dimming in us, we simply need to climb the mountain of worship, climb the mountain of prayer, climb the mountain of God's presence, begin to pursue the presence of God, uh, be begin to prioritize the presence of God, begin to practice the presence of God, and your light will shine brighter than it's ever shined before. Can we thank the Lord for that, church family? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we humbly come before you today. We simply ask this prayer. What would you have me do with this message? Lord, does my face shine and reflect the presence of God in my life? If not, then Lord, help me begin to pursue your presence, prioritize your presence, and practice your presence. Help me, Lord, to be like that diamond that once it's been out visible to the sun, that it begins to emit light. Lord, may all of our lives emit light in our homes, in our places of work, on our campuses, schools, and wherever you lead us, wherever you take us, may our light shine bright for Jesus. And thank you for the story on every face here today, Lord. Every face is a face of not only what has been, but what can be. And I thank you that you can change the story on the faces of your people. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, the Lord, as your personal Lord and Savior, you can know Jesus. He loves you. And he can change you. Whatever you're battling with, whatever you're struggling with, there's power in the gospel to change you into a brand new person from the inside out. But you have to repent of your sin. Turn to God in faith, and he will love you, because he does, and he will receive you. Just pray this prayer out loud with the rest of us. Say it with your own mouth, mean it from your own heart. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart, come into my life, be my Lord, be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive his love, 
His grace and His forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my Father and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit and give me strength to live for you and serve you all the days of my life, beginning today for the rest of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we thank the Lord together, church family?